Welcome to In Focus, a deeper look into advanced cyber monitoring sponsored by Optiv and RSA. Now here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Lawrence Reed, Assistant Director for Security Operations at the Justice Department. Chad Sheridan is Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Dr. Barry West is Senior Advisor and Senior Accountable Official for Risk Management at the Homeland Security Department. Peter Tran is General Manager and Senior Director for Worldwide Advanced Cyber Defense Practice at RSA. And Peter Shawalker, Director of Security Intelligence Solutions at Optiv. Good to have you all here. And this is such a wonderful topic to talk about cybersecurity because it's always changing. There's always something new. Uh, we have hybrid environments to a much greater degree in the federal government than we did even a year ago, let alone five years ago. Some of the new and lurid threats that have hit organizations around the world, I think the last one narrowly missed the federal government, but a lot of the industries that we interact with were affected. And so, uh, th and there's more data analysis and, uh, as part of the cybersecurity strategy, and we're going to talk about all of those issues today, but why don't we start with our government folks by just getting an idea of what contemporary continuous monitoring looks like. What are we doing now that might be different from a few years ago when this whole concept got started? And also continuous diagnostics and mitigation, kind of the small uh, sibling, I guess, of continuous monitoring. Dr. West, why don't we start with you? Yeah, Tom, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'd say what we're headed for in, in Department of Homeland Security is a more federated approach uh, and more collaboration uh, as the components. At DHS we have 22 components. I'd say what's different today versus monitoring from three, five years ago is that collaboration and uh, situational awareness uh, that, that we're, we're sharing between our various security operations center, centers and getting the, uh, the information in, in people's hands quicker. Uh, between those various uh, entities. Also, uh, as far as the CDM, I think that it's, a, it's been a great idea. I think it's slow, slowly getting a little bit of momentum, but the real key is there is the implementation process. I think there's a lot of value that we're going to see uh, as far as eliminating redundancies and trying to get uh, our hands around more commonalities and, 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 and aligning with our budgets better, but it's going to take a little while for that to mature. And uh, Lawrence Reed from Justice, you have kind of a similar issue of DHS, a couple of big components, a lot of small components. Yeah, we do. We have actually a, a little over 40 components when you count them all, a, a bunch small and a, and a few big ones that everybody probably knows. Um, so we have that, that federated environment to a large degree as well, and I, I think that's probably common across a lot of the federal government. Um, so the monitoring today that's a little different than the past couple of years or say three to five years ago, uh, speed is a big part of that. Uh, with cloud and some of the other technologies and the way the adversaries are working today, you have to be able to respond almost immediately. There's no, you know, get an alert and work through a, a two or three hour process. That just doesn't work anymore. Um, so that's one of the things we're focused on is, is getting the, the whole process start to finish to be a lot faster. So that implies the need for more automation, orchestration right. of these things. Right, and it, you need the automation and the orchestration. You also need the, the data to be there when that process starts. So collecting a lot of data from a lot of different places across the enterprise um, is, a, is a big piece of that. Um, it, as Barry said, on the CDM uh, front, it is, a, it is a good idea, um, and the government's pretty big, so making it move is, has been a challenge for DHS, no doubt. Um, but we've done a, a few of those ideas within the department already, pushing them out in terms of scoring and dashboards and some of those things. So they've helped us a lot in terms of the risk management and getting that profile down, the risk profile a little bit lower. Um, so that, that's been pretty good for us. Okay, and Chad, agriculture. So I, I, I'd like to echo what, what uh, everybody else said around the collaboration piece. I think one of the best things that came out of the 2015 cyber sprint was this idea of we're all in this together. And so the types of things that we were being asked to do at the Department of Agriculture did not happen, you know, from the top only. It happened as a collaboration between the components and, and the top. And, and we've continued that in how we communicate about incidents, how we communicate about issues. So if I've got something going on, I'm making a call to the department CISO. My staff is making a call to his staff. So that, that lines of communication, so we're working together. So that's a good part. The, the, the difficult part is we, we haven't taken that 
increase communication and collaboration to a true concept of operations where, hey, this is what you do, this is what you're funded to do, this is what I'm doing, and if it leads me into CDM, part of our problem with implementation is, what really is the concept of operations we're going to use government-wide? What is really the concept of operation we're going to use at a, at a component agency or at a CFO Act agency? How does that work together? Do our budgets align with that? Have we trained our people for that? Do the tools actually then integrate with that model? And, and that's where we're struggling. Yeah, so let me ask Peter Shawalker of Optiv about that question. You have to have a strategy and it has to align with what your business is and what resources you have and what the threats are. A lot of vectors come into play there. What do you see across industry uh, and also across government from your perch, that, uh, the, how, how they're getting at that whole need to integrate and, and make sure there's some coherence to the strategy? Yeah, well, I, I think you have to be realistic about what you mean by monitoring, what you mean by conti continuous. Um, I think um, what, what people sometimes take for granted is this idea that there's going to be eyes on glass and people watching stuff. And that's true to some degree, but that's always punctuated. That's what we call hunting, where people sit down at systems that can monitor the network, or they you know, um, dig into logs and look for evidence of an attack. But again, that's, that's not something you do all the time. There's another kind of monitoring that's sort of the traditional SOC model, Security Operations Center, where you um, wait for events to come out of whatever instrumentation you have, intrusion detection systems, SIMS, uh, secure intelligence uh, uh, systems, things like that, and then respond and execute some kind of process, usually uh, involving lots of people and lots of talking. The trouble with all of that stuff is that the threats are such that they just, the bad guys scale linearly, right? It's, it, they move too fast and they're able to, uh, to affect too much um, risk. And, and so there simply isn't time for people to handle this stuff. So we've, you know, a couple of times, you know, I've heard about um, automation here. We really have to drive automation much harder. We can't wait for, you know, uh, for people to catch up. There will never be enough people. Okay, yeah, good point. So that uh, continuous has to be maybe not the people's eyeballs continuous, but the tools in place that you have, they're, they're, they're what's continuous. Monitoring, you know, like monitoring has to go in quotes. It's not really done by people, it can't be. So it's the difference between radar and binoculars, yeah. if you will, to yeah, make that's a good analogy. All right, and Peter Tran from RSA, what's your, what's your view of uh, what, what we should be doing? I have a bit of an edgier view. Um, and, and from a Conoff perspective, and then the commercial industry has strategy, uh, I would consider what's happening not only in the private industry but uh, in government is security arrested decay. That, that meaning, um, we, we've made investments in infrastructure and they're aging and we're, we're, we're trying to transform that. But some would like walking into a museum, right? You, it's, it's there, it's preserved, and we're trying to make the best of it. And when we're monitoring hunting, there's a difference between hunting and then actually uh, taking the action on what you've hunted. If your sensors or senses are off, even one slight delta, what you've just hunted for becomes irrelevant to your action. So from a cyber defense perspective and continuous monitoring with programs like Einstein 1, 2, and 3, where uh, in the case is great initiatives and we're working closely from an industry perspective to do that, um, we're well beyond figuring out what the left hand is doing with the right hand and technology as it's for risk and the context by which, by which we are mission driven. So we have our procurement uh, cycles in the federal government. There's more private industry collaboration now than we've ever seen before. So the transition between old security, new security, old Coke, new Coke, right? I mean, it, are, is, it, is it going to work? And, we, and we're at that pivotal point moving in that direction. Interesting, so that seems to talk to the issues around security information and event management. Maybe that's the old paradigm, or is that something that's updatable? I mean, is that something common now in federal agencies? I think it is, but again, our, our limitations right now are, you know, we've had a sim for a while now, and we probably are due to refresh it, but the point is we don't have the people that, that are there. It's not, it doesn't currently have the level of automation, and we've also seemed to work from the methodology of, I'm rolling all this information up and, and, and 
my big brother is going to help me determine where my problems are. And, and it reminds me, I had a great conversation maybe a couple years back with the folks at NASA Ames, and they built their own open source stack of monitoring tools because they didn't have any money to buy the fancy tools. And what they did, it wasn't a matter of getting the information in the hands of leaders. It was a matter of getting in the information in their hands of the people to make the, the system administrators. So they were working at a peer level uh, to a point where they were using a, almost a social media type effort to say, hey, you guys have problems. And so all the sysadmins would see how each other was stacking up against you. And sysadmins are very prideful folks. And so if they're having problems in this one area of vulnerabilities, that peer pressure was driving change. And so getting the hands of the information that people were actually gonna drive the change to make your network better, the people who are going to investigate, that's what we need to focus on. It's great to have dashboards, it's great to have leadership involvement, but we need the people who are actually gonna do the work to get that information in a, in a very timely manner to protect ourselves. So, so I wanted to, um, I'm sorry, Dr. Weiss. So a, a SIM, uh, I think we could all agree on that. A SIM is only as good as the data and the data freshness that's going into the SIM. So it's not like we're saying SIM is uh, outdated or it can't be innovated and we can't bridge SIM to be SIM with analytics and um, that capability. Aging of the data, um, DHS, DOJ, USDA, um, you have Intel capabilities there and you're collecting so much data that it ages faster than you can even analyze it or even fed into your SIM environment. You can't take a data-driven uh, decision approach for your actions. So you're hunting based on aged threat intelligence or threat analytical data. So that's the real danger. You're looking in the rearview mirror to try to find out. You don't have a rearview mirror. Right? It's like you, you, you don't even have a black box in the airplane, so you can't even wait till the plane crashes until you can check the black box. That, that's how, that's where, where we're going if we're not doing uh, the appropriate convergence of, of technology process and, and staffing appropriately. Barry? Tom, one of the key focus areas in the new cyber executive order is strengthening the IT workforce. And I think that really plays into this because the roles are, are really changing. I mean, we're still going to have the traditional systems managers, network managers, but we're seeing more from, say, a business analyst, the people out there, the, the data analysts that are out there, the scrum masters. Those folks really need to have that cyber background. They don't necessarily have to go out and have a CISSP, but they really need to know what they're looking for in their everyday jobs and really have that key relationship with uh, with security, with the IT. Yeah, because you're named as the senior accountable official yes. for risk management, yes. so that sounds like heavy duty. Uh, each department had to name one individual. The secretary had to name one, and uh, you know, I'm the lucky one, So it's but it's that coordination among all the components and having someone out there that I can also go to and uh, dealing with their risk management plans. So what I'm hearing is the need for almost immediate knowledge of what's happening, but maybe it's happening so fast that without automated tools it doesn't do you any good because you're dealing with something that's already passed and it's too late. Well, it depends on what we're looking for. Like if we're just looking for the threats or things happening, we're never gonna catch that. I mean, to, to your point here, you know, we're, we're, we're never gonna get that because now we're relying on on the the, the currentness, the the relevance of our intel information. We need to be looking at what events are happening, what are our users doing. That's another piece. But more importantly, is move that security piece to the left, as Barry was talking about. Right? Is how are we monitoring that we have secure systems, that our code is secure, that we've got intel around the third-party code that we're using if it's if it's open source or frankly all the vendors use third-party code so if we have a provenance like we do in supply chain management of the code we're using that we're building it secure now i'm putting security in at the front end and i'm not trying to monitor on the back end I mean, so much of good security really comes down i think this is kind of what, what what barry's getting to is having people who have enough of an understanding of security to do good systems administration i mean there's there's this school that we all go to in security called the sans institute and it stands for systems administration network security and almost everybody who goes to these classes forgets the first two letters they don't re they, they completely let it go for example um, when people ask me what's the what's the best defense against um, uh, ransomware it's very simple have backups. Boring stuff. Not really about responding to anything, but having a little bit of foresight to set up this thing that's been in every production operating system 
for, I don't know how long, it's called incremental backups, not a big deal. In terms of response, I think the opposite is the case, and that it's not just about what we hear so much of, uh, of the time, which is we're going to like churn out like a million CISSPs, or people have you know, enormous numbers of people. That is not the answer. The answer is you need to have fewer people who know how to build automation, who understand tools, so that um, when you're dealing with things that are fast moving, and they're not campaigns, right? Campaigns you find through analytics. Campaigns you find through manual analysis and smart people who understand threats. But m the bulk of the, of the response that we need to do is really about building the tools that we need and the instrumentation and understanding how to transform knowledge of threats into that rather than lots and lots of bodies. In a way that gets back, what you're saying gets back to the earliest days of continuous monitoring, which is to making sure your patches were there which gets to the issue of making sure you're operating secure systems fundamentally. Right. Uh, Lawrence? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the, uh, this, the workforce thing is a big deal uh, to, to try to get that up to speed. And I think focusing security outside of the traditional sysadmins, at least from the business value part of it, it is going to be a big deal as we educate a broader spectrum of people, get the business analysts, get the mission owners at least aware and knowledgeable so you can have the right conversations with them will help us uh, prioritize in a way that doesn't make the problem so big we can't solve it, right? Because having everything be the number one priority, you're never going to get anywhere that way because it's just too big of a problem. You've got to be able to break it up. The only people that can really make that kind of a decision is the mission owners and the business owners. All right, on that note, we will take a short break. Right now, my guests today are Lawrence Reed, Assistant Director for Security Operations at the Justice Department. Chad Sheridan is Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Dr. Barry West is Senior Advisor and Senior Accountable Official for Risk Management at Homeland Security. Peter Tran is General Manager and Senior Director for Worldwide Advanced Cyber Defense Practice at RSA. And Peter Shawalker, Director of Security Intelligence Solutions at Optive. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Advanced Cyber Monitoring, sponsored by RSA and Optive, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. RSA's NetWitness Suite, a U.S. government-accredited threat detection and incident response tool, safeguards intellectual property and prevents organizational disruption. Optive offers intelligence-driven security solutions that discover unknown vulnerabilities, reduce data breaches, and shorten the time to remediate. Optive and RSA combined provide a powerful, best-in-class cybersecurity monitoring solution. This solution detects and eliminates possible threats, creating alignment with your organization's security requirements, technology investments, and mission goals. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Advanced Cyber Monitoring, sponsored by RSA and Optive here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. My guests today are Peter Shawalker, Director of Security Intelligence Solutions at Optive. Peter Tran is General Manager and Senior Director for Worldwide Advanced Cyber Defense Practice at RSA. Dr. Barry West is Senior Advisor and Senior Accountable Official for Risk Management at the Homeland Security Department. Chad Sheridan is the Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency, and Lawrence Reed, Assistant Director for Security Operations at the Justice Department. And I think in this next part, we want to talk about something that has really come on in a big way for federal agencies, and that is the hybrid IT environment. And there are still 5,000 or so data centers of varying sizes operated by the federal government. That's after data center consolidation. So maybe there's another 4,000 to go, but federal data centers, federal networks owned, operated by agencies will be with us for a long time. At the same time, there's a giant market in federal cloud computing that's developed. And so most agencies really acknowledge that the hybrid environment is kind of what the model will be for the continue as far as we can see into the future. And so with that, you've got your own applications on your own servers, and you've got instantiations in virtual mode of some applications, some of them the same ones, some totally in the cloud, and they're all over the place. And so you have service level agreements that have to come into your cybersecurity monitoring regime, if you will. So I want to explore, pull on that one first, the hybrid environment and how you are dealing with it. Uh, Barry, I think Homeland Security is a great one to start it, with there, it, too. It is, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more as far as the future with the hybrid, the hybrid approach. I, you know, I think there's still always going to be cases for the private cloud and a public cloud. But I think the hybrid is the best of both worlds because you're really getting to leverage uh, a vendor maybe for processing power or storage or uh, disaster recovery, uh, but you're also getting the, the uh, you know, your, your local 
applications, some which may be very archaic and old legacy that you can actually still have in-house. So you give that sense of uh, comfort to your customers as well, that everything is not just in the cloud. Although I'd argue that in, in a lot of cases it's more secure in the cloud. Uh, what we're doing at DHS, uh, we actually use a, uh, a defense in death model uh, for all of our security. So where we're looking at, at policies, procedures, and awareness, physical security, pr the parameter, the, excuse me, the perimeter, uh, the network, the host, the apps, and the data. And we do that whether it's on-premise or we're working with an Amazon and we're looking at their SOC uh, guidance, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, and so on. But what we do is we use uh, a cloud security architecture guidance using virtual machines within the application boundary uh, dedicated to collecting application and security logs uh, for monitoring purposes. Now, and do you collect that, or does yes, the cloud provider we, we do actu that? Yes, we actually uh, collect that. In addition, for allowing for a central point of uh, data aggregation, this particular architecture allows you to selectively forward specific event types to your monitoring team, and also reducing the amount of bandwidth and license consumption, uh, in addition to enhancing the efficiency of the analyst uh, that's actually using the data. Uh, if needed for further investigation, depending on the event, uh, these are still available for the analyst to pull from the cloud if, in fact, we decide to have a backup or something goes down. So we'd, have, we'd be covered in any case. Okay, so does that fit that whole need for velocity and, and currency in what it is that's monitored? Yes. Okay, how about justice? What, I mean, there's a lot of cloud activity there, too. There is. We're, we're pushing hard to move a lot of stuff to the cloud. Um, some of the challenges we've run into that, I mean, like, like Barry said, you got to keep a defense in depth approach on that. But as you get, th so when you lift and shift an, an, an on-prem application to the cloud, it's pretty simple to, to keep your security with it from it the operating perspective. Simply, though, it, it never does now, but we like to think about it that way. Um, but as you re-engineer the applications to be more cloud aware or cloud native, that's when you get some opportunities to instrument them a little bit uh, more completely and accurately for that. Uh, Getting so data it's almost like self-cyber knowledge that can be coded into the application. Into, at that yeah, point. into the so when you when you create your your AMI or your image in the cloud, and you put your security right in that. Now every time one spun up, it has it from the beginning. Um, it takes a little bit of, of rigor and process to make that happen, uh, but that's one of the places where you can then build the security into the cloud environment from the beginning. Getting data from the cloud service providers themselves in terms of what's going on in your environment is a bit of a challenge as well. So who's using your API keys? Where are they coming from? Are they doing things they're authorized to do? And that kind of thing. So there's a lot of complexity to that as you make that migration. And can those be expressed in service level agreements, those complexities? Uh, some of them can. It, it depends on the cloud service you're getting. If it's infrastructure or platform as a service, depends on the complexity you get into there. You do have to understand what the, uh, the shared security model gives you from the cloud service providers as you're doing that so that you can understand the whole picture. So in a sense, their outer security becomes your security mm -hmm. because even if you have your own security for your own applications and data, still that cloud provider and what right. they're doing is important to you. Certainly, and, uh, and as more people in the government move into the cloud service providers, they're going to become a bigger target themselves. Because sure. there's more value for the adversaries at that point for going after the cloud service provider, then they can get all the federal agencies rather than just going after the federal agency themselves. And Chad, you're shaking your head in vigorous agreement here. There's a couple of things. One, the idea that you re-engineer your applications when you go to the cloud, I mean, that's one of the things I think a lot, a lot of us, you know, we went with lift and shift, and lift and shift is, you know, arguably, yeah, it'll get you to cloud, but it really doesn't get you the real benefits of it. So, as you engineer your applications to deal with the fact that everything in cloud is different, than from hosting on-prem in terms of how you do network, I mean, how you do identity, all those things are different or can be different, especially as you move up the, the stack to platform or software as a service, now you have an opportunity to engineer in the security, just like you have to engineer the changes in the rest of how the operating environment works. That's great. We haven't gotten there yet, but that's, that's an area you want to go. The two other things that really, I think as a federal government, we need to get to is, as we go to more federal-wide cloud computing acquisition vehicles or environments, we need to build in monitoring up front. So if there's a government-wide software-as-a-service vehicle for a certain type of, of service, then we ought to be working with the Department of Homeland Security to factor in and put CDM in there, into that vehicle, so that we're just consuming that service, not only the government-wide software-as-a-service, but we're consuming the monitoring that's necessary. That's something we've got to factor in. The other piece we've got to figure out is the tick overlay. 
right? The trusted internet connection overlay. Either some of us are extending our boundaries into to cloud uh, infrastructure as a service, or we're sending our data through the through a tick, which is incredibly inefficient. So we've got to figure out some sort of overlay to get from the cloud provided service to to those external customers um, without having to go back through our network and back through the tech. That's, those two areas need to be figured out if we're really going to get expansion of our core services into the cloud. So really then you're saying that you have to have a technical strategy that's pretty detailed to back up your computing strategy, mm -hmm. which as you know, which, which is still the policy of the government, cloud first. I don't think that's been rescinded or turned over or changed and it makes sense. So. Uh, is that a good way of putting it? I think it's a good way of putting it, but again, it, it requires that we do things that are not natural to most federal agencies. We have to work together. It's not going to get better if we're, and, and I'm grateful to see that we've got these government-wide groups like the Cloud Center of Excellence that are trying to work on these things. We've got representation from pretty much all the CFO Act agencies, all the small agencies. So, you know, there's 150 people working together within the government to try and drive those issues so that a small agency coming in doesn't have to figure it all out by themselves and we can get the best of what DOJ is doing, the best of what DHS is doing, the best is what GSA is doing, and we're not all, you know, we're not getting picked off by the vendors one by one. No offense to the vendors. <laughs> Peter? Well, let me, let me make this a little bit easier. Um, when we talk about lift and shift, what we're talking about is taking one set of computing stuff and putting it in somebody else's environment. In that sense, and a lot of other senses, we're already in the cloud. Like, the cloud is the internet. Like, it's right there. The reason we call it a cloud is all of us in IT make diagrams, and they have computers indicated in them, and then there's, this, there's a cloud. There's always a cloud, and it's somebody else's thing. What we really are, are doing is we're trusting that thing to take care of things that we would have had to do. So cloud really isn't that. Cloud is really about business processes, and it's about being able to do things that you couldn't do otherwise. For, for example, um, cloud allows me to do things like go to a website and say, I want to be able to build this and put in a credit card and I can start at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and be done at, on Monday morning at six and have something that works in the, that's production ready. That is cloud. So don't worry about like whether it's somebody's, somebody else's computer or your, your computer in somebody else's environment. That's not important. What's important is what you can do with it. Another example is, and this is something we're doing today, um, you know, it's possible to, um, to, uh, to build hundreds of Hadoop nodes or Elasticsearch nodes in a cloud environment, in just about any cloud environment, in about 15 minutes with a couple of clicks, right? And these are the kinds of things that you can do in the cloud. If you can't build something on demand, have it um, expand on demand, and easily and quickly, and also contract, right? You're just not doing, your, doing cloud. All you're doing is hosting your stuff someplace else. You're not getting any benefits from it. All right, and uh, Peter from RSA, Peter Tran, the. Uh, Somebody's using cloud providers in a big way because every week you read about another data center being built and the country is dotted with thousands of windowless buildings. And so, again, I want to get maybe your view of some of the commercial best practices that could translate to the public sector in security architecture when you have hybrid or even all cloud environments. So hybrid cloud is somewhere in between a boxing match and a game of tug of war. Um, just because in the last 10 years, um, this environment is very tactile. Uh, we're, we're, we get comfortable when we have our data centers and we have a span port we can tap into, but there are no span ports anymore. Uh, they're software defined. Mm -hmm. So in the commercial space, and I, the biggest consumer is, is the government uh, for, for that, and hundreds and hundreds of applications are being migrated on a monthly basis um, for security. And that's the danger. So um, from a commercial best practices, we don't want to see we want to see defense in depth, but we want to see um, beyond defense in depth where the provisioning of security monitoring occurs right from right when before they can get access to the data. So compute power is one thing, access data is to the other. Um, but there's something that we have to be very careful of is the difference between an SLA and an SLO, a service letter objective. So the natural tug of war, the boxing match that occurs is everybody wants to shift risk somewhere. 
commercial side doesn't doesn't want to assume all the risk of their customers. Certainly, the customer wants to be protected. Mm -hmm. So, from a best practice standpoint, it's really defining what the SLO SLA um, is going to provide you, not what it says, what it's actually going to provide you, because that's called in, uh, theoretically in reality the Dead Sea effect. There's this there's this portion in the middle that everybody knows is there and they kind of push off risk and that's where the attack service starts to grow in the hybrid environment where you said well I thought you were going to handle it well no you were going to handle it and all of a sudden you have a material breach in your software defined environment and then you're not sure that you can perform the post-mortem forensic analysis of that because you don't have the data and you don't know who's responsible for the data so I think that I think from the beginning that needs to be um, a conversation occurs. Yes, yeah, so SLO comes before SLA. Absolutely, so operationally. Just basic understanding of yes. what it is. The, and, uh, and IVNV too, independent validation uh, and verification mm -hmm. of the SLO before you lock it down as an SLA. Interesting, okay. Does that ring true for the government people? Uh, absolutely. In fact, our, our Eagle 2 contract at, uh, at DHS has an IVNV track. Mm -hmm. Just for these types of things, whether it's cloud, whether it's agile computing, so you're there. You're right. Yeah, the way Peter to come back in it. and make sure that hey, are you really living up to the performance metrics mm -hmm. and the objectives and goals that you had set from the beginning? Okay, and as Peter Shellwalker mentioned, these diagrams with a cloud in the middle always have arrows to something, and that takes us to the endpoints, which is the opposite end of all of this. And not only have data center and cloud proliferation affected government, but so has endpoint proliferation with mobile devices, usually more than one per user, and nobody's really given up, or very few people have given up the standard desktop, which is maybe better understood, but still not the safest thing in the world. So let's talk about endpoint protection and how that fits into the continuous monitoring uh, strategy and architecture. Anyone want to, Chad, do you want to attack that we one? We start with the traditional tools where we've got some monitoring on that endpoint, but. Uh, you know, at some point, I think we're going to have to get a little bit smarter on on forcing the conversation with our business partners around what we allow these things to do, right? Uh, Whitelisting has been a dirty word in our environments, and, and limiting the ability of what our users are allowed to do has been that conversation that the security officers and the CIOs are afraid to have. So we need to take that and translate that need into business language of, hey, for example, and it's not specifically about whitelisting, but when I talk about social security numbers and PII with people, I say, as a business user, you personally have access to our entire portfolio of social security numbers. How comfortable do you feel with that when this is the cost of you making a mistake and all of a sudden, you know, they go completely white and go, Oh my God, in fact, I've had one of our senior actuaries come to me and say, hey, I know I have access, but I limit myself because I know I don't need that. So if we start to limit, it used to be we built things for functional needs and we forgot about the non-functional security. We've got to build that non-functional in at the start where that means, hey, this application can only do this or this endpoint can only do this. And yep, you're limited, but guess what? You know, you're protected as well, and you're not going to be the one I'm hunting down because you were allowed to do something that you really didn't have a business need for. So, Chad, I, I wanted to make a comment to the endpoint um, because more often than not, and this is across public and private sector, is that we perform our endpoint security in isolation most of the time. And when we're talking about the multiple dimensions of continuous monitoring or in hybrid environments, particularly, you have endpoint, you have network you have cloud, you have mobile, you have app, and theoretically as we move into IoT, and, and the, the federal government is moving, whether we like it or not, into multi-sensor data, um, working that way. And for the endpoint itself done in isolation is a very, very dangerous place to be because um, even metrics-wise, on a, daily ba on a daily basis in the last four years, there's been 820,000 new variants of malware, General Ruffentoff hitting that. That's um, 300 million a year, 1.2 billion the last four years. My new math. So Whatever everybody on earth can have one. Pretty much, for the most part, right? So, so then, then you look at the multiple dimensions of your new environment, the current environment, and you're like, 
how do I possibly, how can I possibly just tackle the endpoint and think that's going to solve it? Because the endpoints are changing on a daily basis. Right, we'll continue with that. Right now we need to take a short break. My guests today are Peter Tran, General Manager and Senior Director for Worldwide Advanced Cyber Defense Practice at RSA. Dr. Barry West is Senior Advisor and Senior Accountable Official for Risk Management at the Homeland Security Department. Lawrence Reed is Assistant Director for Security Operations at the Justice Department. Chad Sheridan, Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency, and Peter Schawacker, Director of Security Intelligence Solutions at Optiv. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. Our discussion is Advanced Cyber Monitoring, sponsored by Optiv and RSA, here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. RSA's NetWitness Suite, a U.S. government-accredited threat detection and incident response tool, safeguards intellectual property and prevents organizational disruption. Optiv offers intelligence-driven security solutions that discover unknown vulnerabilities, reduce data breaches, and shorten the time to remediate. Optiv and RSA combined provide a powerful, best-in-class cybersecurity monitoring solution. This solution detects and eliminates possible threats, creating alignment with your organization's security requirements, technology investments, and mission goals. And welcome back to our panel discussion, Advanced Cyber Monitoring, sponsored by RSA and Optiv, here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. My guests today are Lawrence Reed, Assistant Director for Security Operations at the Justice Department. Chad Sheridan is Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Dr. Barry West is Senior Advisor and Senior Accountable Official for Risk Management at the Homeland Security Department. Peter Tran is General Manager and Senior Director for Worldwide Advanced Cyber Defense Practice at RSA. And Peter Shawwalker, Director of Security Intelligence Solutions at Optiv. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And let's talk more about the, the mobile, mobility and endpoint discussion we were having earlier, because that does add a new dimension with multiple devices per person multiple operating systems, all kinds of variables introduced into the mix. And uh, I'm interested in Justice Department's approach to all of that and how you bring that into cyber because there's a lot of mobile development and mobile innovation really happening at the different justice pieces. Right. Yeah, uh, mobile's a big part of, of the mission for uh, a lot of the components within justice. Um, the approach we're generally taking on this is to is a few different pieces, right? So we're segmenting things up appropriately based on the the data that's being processed or the mission that's being executed on it. We're managing the devices that should be managed. We're not managing the ones that shouldn't. Um, and, and we're looking at the authentication that goes around those and what we can do with, with uh, PIV or derived PIV credentials if, if we can get that working in a useful way. Um, and trying to combine all those together so that we get something you know, we can manage or at least we can understand on that. Um, and probably the last piece that we're still struggling with a little bit is, is managing the data then and how do we secure the data no matter where it ends up. Because people share, people do their job on a lot of different devices, uh, some authorized, some maybe not, uh, but we still need to worry about securing that data. So that gets to be a big challenge as, as we're pushing out, yeah, getting more distributed. Yeah, mobile device management systems and all that kind of stuff, you also mm -hmm. have to monitor for proper use of the mobile device such that That's rules right. like copying and pasting and right. what you apps know. you can put on and can't right. put on right and of course one of you know as we shift some of those things to the cloud it gets even more complicated because then you've got more layers to work on on that so it is it is it's a fun challenge yeah so what else are we seeing in in the multiplicity of endpoints in, in the federal space um. I think it goes back back to the with the endpoints and the mobility. They really kind of go hand in hand. I know, it, for example, at, at DHS we have uh, 13 component SOCs uh, that are responsible for monitoring their own endpoints in their lands. And although the capabilities vary uh, across the department, the majority have dedicated 24 by 7 teams of security monitoring experts whose job it is not only to understand the cyber threats. Uh, and the analysis in general, but also to be well versed in the unique risk profile of their individual component networks, including their security architecture, their high value assets, and dedicated security tools and the implementations. Uh, we're trying to standardize right now on a uh, common mobile device management. We have several right now. This we want across DHS. Across components. DHS. Uh, we're using Good, we're using several different products right now. Uh, we want we we do want to try to uh, standardize, and I think that'll help. But 
echo what Larry was saying. We have a lot of the same setup and configuration with our mobility and uh, still maturing. Yeah, because you were at FEMA right. at some point in your career, and they have a well-known program of going out into the field, and they're gathering a lot of personally identifiable information, a lot of federal information in those devices in the aftermath of a disaster. So, so the question then is, how well do things like MDMs, and there's several brands out there that are popular in the government, do they have APIs or otherwise have hooks into continuous monitoring for cybersecurity setups that you might have? How does that, are those two worlds in the same domain? I think they have to be, yeah. I think we started with, you know, uh, we're MDM is almost a band-aid because we knew that there was this proliferation of demand for mobility. And so we put on the MDMs as the first protective measure, but what we didn't necessarily do, and I can speak for us at AG, is how does that integrate with the rest of our program, the rest of our monitoring? And as we're looking to go you know, to ideas of, of bring your own device or things like that, and the policy around that, it's, it's not just, okay, what are we doing here with MDM? It's how does that fit into our cloud email strategy? How does that fit into our monitoring around our email? And it, we, we end up asking, you know, we're coming up with more questions than answers. But I think that's a good thing because it means we're thinking about the system as a whole instead of look at mobility here and endpoint here and cloud here. It's got to be a systems approach. If we don't approach this from a systems approach, we're gonna we're gonna miss something, or we're gonna come up with a suboptimal solution, and eventually we're we're gonna be in trouble. Peter, comments? Yeah, I mean, so I I do security services for a living. I don't do much around MDM. It's pretty boring. It works. It's about where it's going to be. It's fairly mature. It's also fairly limited. Um, but so in terms of like investment, it's it's just almost a no-brainer these days, and has been for a while. That's good. Um, I think in terms of systems and investment, identity access management is where you go. I think that's 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 the the, the thing that sort of binds everything together. It doesn't matter where your data is. The other thing that that's valuable when it comes to protecting endpoints is is monitoring email and protecting email because everything's got to get to that device somehow. We tend to rely on things like uh, encryption on mobile devices and. Things, being able to re do remote wipes and stuff like that in order to protect the device itself, but it's how, how the data gets there, how the apps get there, that you can do something about. Interesting, so, so they're here to stay, and so we need a, an approach that maybe virtualizes out some of the inherent lack of security that well, are in those devices? It's, to some degree, it's, it's a cognitive problem. It's what we think of as a computer. Like if you look at the new Microsoft tablets that are coming out, they're pretty much or laptops. I mean, they have been for a while. The new Apple tablet is, I mean, iOS 11 is basically going to be desktop OS that you put on a tablet and you can attach a keyboard and you have a laptop. Right, so the difference is between what we think of as a computer and a mobile device and anything else is, you know, what is really the difference? I think it makes sense to sort of flatten all of this stuff in terms of our perspective on just what what the thing is, and think in terms of everything being virtual. In this sense, everything's cloud again, right? We can just we can just say there's data. There are perimeters that we have to think about in terms of in business process, software, because everything's ultimately software defined. And mobile devices are really just a reminder that that's the reality. And I guess the mobile question brings us to something really important that is on the minds of a lot of federal agencies, despite the worldwide worms going around and viruses and so forth, and that is the insider threat. And you obviously know that there, you know, there's two basic types of insider threats, the people that want to do harm and the people that accidentally do harm because of those phishings and so forth that comes in. And so how can insider threat prevention thinking come into this whole area of advanced monitoring? Can it, Peter Tran? I think it can. I think it. it uh, we need to think about insider threat a little bit differently. Uh, I think that um, if we're putting people there uh, on the inside historically, and we just sort of gravitate towards that, right? The surreptitious uh, individual or individuals, but it's the rogue environment that becomes surreptitious. And what keeps me up at night, and this ties into uh, mobility, uh, is uh, the app world that we're living in. Um, because globally, we probably average about three devices per person, I say, roughly three devices. So there's, I think the last statistic I'm aware of is 
175 billion apps were downloaded. In-app economies, IRS has their own app. You can actually file your taxes. Right? So, so, you, so an insider threat can actually be a software-defined threat um, that, mm-hmm. that can establish a foothold. And the, the human aspect of the threat um, is then becomes an extension or a var- variable of that. So if you manage third-party risk appropriately, you can do all the, the best practices around um, provisioning, deprovisioning, monitoring um, your, your third-party your third-party vendors. You look at the target breach, right, as an HVAC. Um, so you, 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 look, you look at those from the commercial side, but then you look at the ties between um, clear defense contracting and federal government and, and the trusted partner connections, and then uh, that, that really keeps me in. I'm more concerned from an insider threat looking at what I'm going to call micro breaches versus the larger macro smash and grab exfil, um, because manipulation and destruction of data, even at the small level, that becomes a problem for continuous monitoring. We can't necessarily see those because they're trying to manipulate a larger foothold in our environment. As we're in this moment, this is the scariest moment, I think, because we're in transition. We're in a, a new generation moving into, this is by far the best window for our adversary to start to to establish new footholds and take advantage of the, the old ones. So I think of it in different terms for insider threat. How does the Justice Department think about it? So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's from a legal standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, I'm not gonna go touch any of that today. Um, that's down the hall. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So. So we're, we're doing a lot of different things on that, and we are, as I said on the mobile, we're trying to bring everything together in a way that helps the mission succeed and prevents the inadvertent insider, right? We, we don't want to you know, punish people for doing, making a mistake. We've got to give them the tools and the education and the capabilities that they need to do their job safely and securely. Uh, so that's, that's one part of it. The, the malicious insiders is a little more interesting in how we go about uh, managing that and so awareness, knowledge, monitoring of, of what people are doing, where data is, who's accessing it, how they're using it are kind of the fundamentals of that but it gets, uh, it gets really complicated in, in the larger agencies and especially when you have the multiple levels of, of information from you know, unclass public data to more classified stuff. Yeah, because the conventional thinking on this is that, well, everyone has a baseline activity profile, mm-hmm. and therefore you monitor for things that are out of band. Right, but with understand. teleworking and people traveling, I mean, it gets to be a little bit more difficult to, I think, effectuate operationally than it is to describe conceptually this whole idea of how you monitor people. Two things to bear in mind there. One is that insider monitoring need not be continuous. It's not like monitoring for ransomware. Like, it's not like you're going to get hit by an insider threat of nowhere. It's not like this stuff is rolled in wherever and comes in and, and surprises you. These things happen over time, and they are almost always detectable if you have knowledge of the employer, of the insider, which means that you have to distribute the monitoring. You can't put it in a sock, which is run by nerds, right, Who whose job it is to, like, take network traffic apart and understand it. You have to understand the people who are actually involved and you have to have relationships with them, which means that, again, we get back to what does the business look like, what does the organization look like, and how do you get the information to the hands of people who actually understand the personalities, the quirks, the schedules, the habits of those people who were potential threats. Yeah, old Henry, he always loads his, his zip drive at, yeah. uh, at 3 a.m. And or we're if used somebody to happens to travel to China, I've seen this in lots of places, particularly high-level people in government agencies who will go to China because that's some of their businesses there, right? Or people who are teleworkers who are on the, on the road all the time. So it's, it's the traditional ways of doing this stuff from afar, they just, they just don't work in an insider pers- you know, uh, context. All right, in a few, uh, I'm sorry, Chad. Know your business. Yeah. Know your business, mm-hmm. right? It, you want to segment information, we, we worked on Need to Know many, 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 many moons ago. I remember first implementing it when, when, when I was with the Navy, and, and people complained, uh, but we had important information and data we had to protect, and so if, if I worked in this area, I didn't need to know the secrets of reactor design, right? Know your business. Keep the information. Now, if there's a business need for sharing of information, then talk about it. If you know your business, again, this is not an IT problem, it's a business problem. All right, in the few moments we have left, we have just a couple of minutes, maybe just comment on the uh, Trump administration executive order on cybersecurity. There are deadlines coming up for that. And, uh, but more generally, 
where you think this whole idea of advanced monitoring, advanced cybersecurity detection will be, uh, say, a year from now? You know, Barry and I, we were we were just uh, chatting about that at the, on, on the break, and um, and I'll, I'll leave some meat on the bone for you here, Barry. So, uh, I, I think I think um, the, this this second uh, EO, because we had EO one thirty six thirty six from the prior administration, um, teed things up. Right? So we're at this point where there's a call for action around uh, modernizing uh, or innovation, and then connect it, and then be smart because where the glimpse is, we're moving into smart government, smart cities, uh, enhance of, of quality of living. And in that, um, I think the first two are really going to set the pace of what we're going to see in security as an outgrowth of that. If we can bridge that gap uh, effectively in transitioning and transforming the, the current infrastructure to where we need to go, um, and then effectively connecting them and then being efficient uh, around a smart, a smart environment. Okay, and uh, Barry, the other side of the yeah, bone there? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this new executive order. I, I, I finally have seen, I think, in the last 30 years now, a real focus on cyber from the secretary level all the way down, where they're being held accountable. So uh, I'm excited. I think uh, the White House is really taking this seriously, uh, from uh, direct reports from to the president, to the National Security Council, to NIST, to the, all the major departments and also the small agencies that a lot of times say, no, we don't really need to do that or we don't have to, they are all being held accountable. So I'm excited. I think it's got teeth. I think we're going to see great progress. All right. On that note, it's time to bring this to a close. I wish we had another hour, but we don't. Let me thank today's guests, though. Lawrence Reed is Assistant Director for Security Operations at the Justice Department. Chad Sheridan, Chief Information Officer at Agriculture Department's Risk Management Agency. Dr. Barry West is Senior Advisor and Senior Accountable Official for Risk Management at the Homeland Security Department. Peter Tran is General Manager and Senior Director for Worldwide Advanced Cyber Defense Practice at RSA. And Peter Schottwalker, Director of Security Intelligence Solutions at Optiv. I'm Tom Temin, federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search in focus. Thank you for listening to In Focus, a deeper look into advanced cyber monitoring, sponsored by Optive and RSA on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire program can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search In Focus.